0: Hey friends, this is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and we are here with you today to study Doctrine and Covenants sections 27 through 28. And we want to apologize for this episode coming out. A lot later than we were hoping to. We have been releasing our episodes this year in 2021 on Fridays because we know that there has been, as a lot of you, we've had a lot of people ask if we could release them a little bit earlier for those of you who are teaching seminary or teaching lessons and just to give a little bit of a buffer a little earlier. So we don't plan on not doing that anymore. Next week's episode and hopefully all the episodes after that will still be released on the Friday before we start the study. But that's beside the point. Thanks for being patient with us. We are looking forward to this week's study. Um, As usual, usual, we want to follow up with last week's question and some of the answers that we had to our discussion on Instagram. Um, the question, if you remember, is what is my calling and more about what talents has God given to me and what does he expect me to do with them? I so appreciated so many of, anyway, it's always fun to read the discussion. There were a few comments, Mari Millie and Duleen Reese, who both mentioned their patriarchal blessing is something that they had gone back to through the years to, remind themselves or to refresh what they felt like God was asking them to do. And I love that they brought that up because that isn't something that I had thought about or that we talked about last week. And I think just what a great place that is to go back to that revelation that you've received in the past or things that have been meaningful you for you in the past to come back to. So thank you for those. I
1: also really liked uh, this one by Broken to Beautiful. Um, she mentioned that there's a calling she wanted in her life uh, that she wasn't able to have. And that brings, of course, its own kind of frustration and wondering and doubting. And we mentioned that last week, talking about how, uh, you know, Joseph was told he would not have temporal strength, which is certainly a calling he would want. He and Emma spent much of their life, their, almost their entire life, in some kind of poverty or another. He would have loved to have the calling towards temporal wealth or temporal success, but didn't have it. Um, Emma was never allowed a, a view of the plate. She was not called as a witness of the gold plates. And maybe it seems to be from her revelation 25, that's something she would have wanted. So this idea that sometimes the callings we want, even though they're good and they're righteous, don't come or they don't come until later. But I love this. Uh, this is, again, broken to beautiful. She says, In the meantime, I have found that the last three years, I found more joy and wholeness in who I really am, in recognizing, connecting with, and serving others one-on-one. Friends, family, strangers at the grocery store, or people I never meet, but help in the ways I can. I feel alive when I do these things, and so I think that that is my calling. It may be forever, or it may forever be to my smaller circle of influence, or maybe at times that might expand and be larger. But I do hope i remember that one-on-one is best because it's really what matters each person matters i don't need to reach thousands to matter because i already do and so does each individual i get to connect with i love a lot of things about that both being able to find a calling in sometimes the moments when we're not seeing or not feeling the calling that we want and i love the clarification that even though these callings are divine and maybe are much bigger than just church assignments, it doesn't necessarily mean that the calling is quote unquote big and that it's going to influence thousands of people. Sometimes those callings might just be to a small group of people that were called to help serve and lift.
0: I think that is a principle that we often say too much, but maybe don't mean. Hmm. Um, when we are actually working within the walls of our own home or with the people closest to us that make the most difference, I think we need to really, really believe that, that that's something that really makes the most difference is the seemingly small and maybe seems insignificant what you're, what work you're doing, but that it really genuinely makes the biggest difference. And yeah. sometimes that can be hard to even understand for ourselves, yeah. but... Yeah. Well, in
1: fact, that's a good way, I think, to segue into what we want to talk about this week. So uh, tonight, speaking of uh, callings to serve a small group of people, we were having a family council um, and... as part of that council i think 75% of it was us trying to counsel our children how to sit still for the council so that we could actually talk together as a family which we didn't end up doing until later on after dinner and even that didn't work and you know how it goes you know our our son was playing with legos on the couch our daughter wanted to get changed for like the fourth time today um and
0: this is the same daughter that <laughs> Wants to be the president and wants to have 100 children and wants to change her clothes 10 times a day. All day long. Not even kidding.
1: So we're trying. <laughs> I love it. We're, we're, we're having one of those moments when you find yourself uh, correcting your children over and over again. And you, it gets tiring and it gets exhausting. And you made the point, you've made it before, but you made it again tonight, that um, one of the things that we as parents do is we correct you. We tell you not to do things uh, because we're interested in you growing and developing. And of course, part of that growth and development is encouraging and being positive and telling you what you can do and opening doors for you. But sometimes it also includes uh, telling you not to change your clothes for the fourth time or having you sit still and put the Legos away and, and asking you to do some really difficult things that might require you to stop doing other things.
0: I think that was the way I phrased it tonight at least it was making sense in my brain tonight too, was that sometimes we ask them to do hard and uncomfortable things because we can see the greater growth that's going to come. Damn. And it hurts sometimes, but we do it because we love them.
1: Which is a companion, maybe seems contradictory, but I think a very important companion point to what we studied last week. If last week was all about finding this inner purpose that lights your fire and that gets you going and makes you happy and makes you want to serve, this week I think is the other side of that. So in the church, uh, in sections 27 and 28, the church has been organized and it's growing, and it's growing quite quickly. But because it's a young uh, and growing restored church, there are quite a few places where the Lord needs to correct and adjust things. So in section 27, we have this very small correction where Joseph is going out to get uh, bread and wine for the sacrament. In fact, this is the sacrament where uh, he will confirm the Knight family as members of the church, and I think Emma as well, if I remember. And he's met by an angel, and the angel tells him he doesn't need to get wine and gives him some correction there. It's a small one. And then there's a seeming big one in the next chapter, or in the next section, where Hiram Page, who is a brother-in-law in the Whitmer family, uh, and a very early believer in the Book of Mormon, a witness of the Book of Mormon, a witness of the gold plates, uh, is receiving revelation, or so-called revelation, through a seer stone, which is, of course, what Joseph Smith did, and uh, as specific as proclaiming where Zion might be, and many church members, including Oliver Cowdery and the Whitmer family, believe him. And uh, that creates a problem in the church where the Lord has to correct exactly how these kinds of big governmental uh, revelations will come. This isn't indications that anything is going wrong. In fact, it's indications that growth is happening and Father in Heaven, just like earthly parents, is having to make some corrections. And so the question that we want to ask ourselves, we want to invite you to ask as you study this week is... What correction or corrections does the Lord have for me? What are the things that he might be telling you to stop doing, to cut out of your life, uh, to eliminate, so that you can focus on what he's asking you to do? And those things might be uncomfortable. They might not be as enjoyable as last week when you're trying to figure out what the calling is and what passion you have, but it might be just as important to our growth. What we want to do in the episode is to point out some principles that we found that might help us figure out how those corrections uh, will come or from where they will come.
0: So my first thought to this actually comes from the very beginning of this study in section 27. In the section intro, it says, Joseph set out to procure wine and he was met by a heavenly messenger and received this revela- revelation. Revelation and for some reason as i've read and thought about this study this week i kept actually picturing this happening in my mind maybe because i thought it was so cool to think joseph was setting out to do a task he was on his way to do something he hadn't even asked the question yet but there he was going on his business ready to ready to get the stuff ready the, for the sacrament and the heavenly messenger showed up to correct him. And in verses three and four, it says, "'Wherefore a commandment I give unto you "'that you shall not purchase wine, "'neither strong drink of your enemies. "'Wherefore you shall partake of none, "'except it is made new among you.'" So in this case, he received a correction when he didn't really ask for it. He was just on his way to do something. And this has been something, maybe it's been meaningful to me, because I have, a few months ago, I was really praying and really trying to change. Um, most of what I'm trying to change is a lot of the thought pat- patterns in my mind and just feeling like there was a lot of things that I wanted to be doing better at. And, but I was really, really frustrated because I didn't know how to start. And I didn't know where to go. And so I was spending a lot of time in agony of that waiting period of like, I don't know how to do it. And I don't know how to start. And Zach can attest to this. He's, I see him nodding his head. (laughs) Yep. Um, No, but I just was spending so much time stuck in a spot because I didn't know what to do next. And I was in a moment where I happened to be praying and pleading and the simple thought came to my head, and I think this was a voice in my head, I would describe it, it was a very distinct voice saying, you just do it. Now, that was one of the most profound things that has come to my mind in a long time. And it's so simple, but it's one of those things that has kept me going. Sometimes, even if you don't know where to start or don't know exactly where you're going, you just Do something. And that can bring so much power. And so I love that we see Joseph doing that. He didn't even really think. He just knew that he was going to get bread and wine because that's what he needed to do. That's what he'd heard. But he was doing something. And as he did something, as he was just doing it, um, he received help and he received guidance.
1: It makes me think of the talk by Elder Holland that's been made into an inspirational video message. Uh, that's titled Wrong Roads, and you've probably seen it's a popular one, but uh, Elder Holland tells the story of driving with his son and trying to find a particular way. I think they're on a dirt road. And they're trying to find their way back from camping, and they get to a fork in the road. They pray about which fork to take. They feel an impression to go one direction. They go that direction to find out that it was the wrong road. So they drive back and then get on the right road, and his son asks him, Dad, we prayed about that. How come, Heavenly Father, told us to go down the wrong road. And Elder Holland teaches a really nuanced truth that's powerful, and it's the one that you're saying, that uh, had they either sat there and deliberated about which road to go on, or maybe they started going down the right road without the experience of going down the wrong road, they would have either wondered, are we on the right road? Uh, They would have potentially turned back with doubt, or if they just stayed there at the crossroads, it would have stayed there and not done anything. And so the quickest and most convincing way, most confident, confidence-building way to get them on the right road was to allow them to go down the wrong road and give them correction. I think that's what you're saying. Sometimes we can be paralyzed by trying to figure out what's right and wrong. And sometimes if we don't know, we just need to act and the Lord will either push us down that right road or he'll correct us and send us on the right one.
0: Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to be moving to know what what feels right.
1: The principle that I found comes connected to that same story, and it's in verse two, and I've always loved this phrase. Uh, It intrigues me. The Lord says, Behold, I say unto you, It mattereth not what you shall eat or what you shall drink when you partake of the sacrament, if it so be that you do it with an eye single to my glory. Now, I think, of course, there's a truth to be taught there about the sacrament specifically, that it doesn't matter as much what we're partaking for the bread or we're taking for the water, as long as we're using it to remember the Savior and renew our covenants. But I think there's an even broader reaching truth there, <laughs> that there are some things that don't matter. Uh, they don't matter to the Lord, or they're not as important uh, as other things. I love that the Lord has a hierarchy of things that matter. I'm going to steal just briefly from our next study next week in section 29, uh, but these two verses, verses 34 and 35 in section 29, teach this principle really well of what matters to the Lord and what doesn't. It says, wherefore verily I say unto you that all things unto me are spiritual, and not at any time have I given unto you a law which was temporal, neither any man nor the children of men, neither Adam your father whom I created. Behold, I give unto him that he may be an agent unto himself, and I gave unto him commandments, but no temporal commandment gave I unto him, for my commandments are spiritual. They are not natural nor temporal, neither carnal nor sensual. So to go back to section 27, what the Lord is saying is, this physical thing that you're looking at, the bread and the wine, It's not the most important thing. It facilitates a spiritual outcome, and it's the spiritual outcome that I, the Lord, am most interested in. That's what matters. Having your eye single to my glory, renewing your covenants, remembering and honoring me. What you actually use for the sacrament doesn't matter. And that makes me wonder in my life, are there things... Uh, are there corrections that could come from the Lord where he would have me see that some of the things I that matter to me, some of the physical or temporal things that matter to me, really don't matter that much? And the things that should matter more are the ones with great, deep spiritual import. I think it's an interesting question to ask ourselves. What am I pursuing that probably doesn't matter? And if I were to get rid of that stress or that particular focus, what could the Lord replace it with?
0: Well, it's interesting, you know, verse, I read verses three and four and you're reading verse two that comes before, obviously, because mm-hmm. two comes before three. I'm glad I explained that to you listeners out there. Um, <laughs> Behold, I say unto you that it mattereth not what ye shall eat. So he is saying it doesn't matter. Really, but then he does give some instruction. He Mm -hmm. gives some some guidelines.
1: Well, and I think that a a correlational study might be to look back at the story of Ether. If you remember when the brother of Jared has those questions about the barges, how are we going to get light? How are we going to get steering? How are we going to get air? Uh, And the Lord gives them answers to a couple of them, but then there's one that he invites the brother of Jared, the question of light that he asked the brother of Jared to study out in his mind. And that might be a similar example where the Lord, I think the brother of Jared could have come to the Lord with a number of different solutions, because I don't think what the Lord was interested in was the physical or temporal solution that the brother of Jared came up with to solve this problem. What he was interested in was the spiritual truths the brother of Jared would learn in his study and his, uh, the, the ability the Lord has to touch those temporal things and make them glow and, and light people's way. And so there are instructions, there is guidance that the Lord gives, but I think it's to help us find those things that are spiritually beneficial.
0: Well, that kind of leads me into actually to speaking of spiritually beneficial things. Um, the end of this chapter may be kind of encapsulates that a little, because it talks about the armor of God. And it talks about, um, well, you know it well, I'm sure. And if you don't, then read it at the end of this section. (laughs) But um, I, I just, I love the armor of God. I love the way, the things that we can learn from it. And in this case, um, as it talks about these different things, wherefore lift up your hearts and rejoice and gird up your loins and take upon you my whole armor that ye may be able to withstand the evil day having done all that ye may be able to stand. Um, it talks about the truth. It talks about breastplates of righteousness and your feet shod with preparations of the gospel of peace and taking up your shield so that you can protect yourself from the fiery darts. All of these different places and protection that we can have as we do what God asks of us, as we put on his armor. Um, And I think this can be an interesting part of figuring out what corrections the Lord has for us. I think this gives us a very detailed description of the different pieces that God can help us with. Is there things in your mind is there things in your heart is there things in your in your shield (laughs) or any of those pieces that maybe you need to correct or put on your armor a little more tightly maybe you've let certain pieces go that you're letting in things that you shouldn't be Um,
1: well we've talked about this but i love the exercise and they've even given a man, a page in the Come, Follow Me manual that I think helps with this to go through that armor item by item, as you're saying, and ask ourselves, are there any chinks in this particular piece of armor? Um, you know, the helmet, like you said, examine our thoughts, the breastplate, examine our feelings, the feet shot, examine our paths. Am I going a direction that the Lord would correct? Am I heading down a certain road that he would have me alter? Um And I think that kind of systematic way of asking ourselves, what do I need to correct about this? What do I need to um, change about this? I think is a really healthy way, at least that I've found, to find places of correction.
0: And I think maybe he gives us small pieces of armor to help us not get overwhelmed. I think it can be really empowering to envision ourselves as this future awesomeness that you're you, that we're all aiming to be, um, but it's not great if that becomes overwhelming or intimidating or discouraging. Because when we're talking about ways to improve or corrections, it can sometimes be those things. It can be discouraging and overwhelming. But I think if we examine it in small pieces and we just take one small piece at a time, Um, I think that's the best way to make changes and really take these corrections from God that can be very humbling, but do them small and simple, step-by-step, line upon line. Um, He's going to guide us and help us, um, let's see, weld back our armor together. Do you like that one? Yeah.
1: Well, I like that a lot. Um, We've spent a lot of time in Section 27. Of course, Section 28 is just as rich in potential places for answers to this question. So I might just point out one. um, Section 28, the correction comes as to how revelation is received in the church. And um, there's two kinds of revelation that are kind of identified here, not necessarily by name, uh, but by description. So uh, the story, of course, is Hiram Page is using the seer stone. He's receiving these uh, revelations that are not authorized of the Lord, don't come from him. And the Lord points that out in verse 2. No one shall be appointed to receive commandments and revelations in this church excepting my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., And then he explains in verse 9 specifically about Zion. No man knoweth where the city of Zion shall be. And then to Oliver Cowdery, who's had a problem with this, in verse 6, Thou shalt not command him who is at thy head. There is a very clear, authorized, prophetic line of revelation that comes through the Lord's prophet, to his church. This is how the Lord governs and directs his church. It has been that way since the beginning of time and continues to be that way through prophets and apostles today. But there's a second companion avenue of revelation that's mentioned in verse 8 and a couple of other places. Oliver is commanded to go to the Lamanites on this mission, uh, which will be kind of to the western territories, primarily aimed at Native Americans And he's told that on that mission, he will receive revelations in verse 8. In verse 15, it's specific. It shall be given thee from the time thou shalt go until the time thou shalt return what thou shalt do. In other words, Oliver, you will receive personal revelation to guide you on this specific mission. Now, the fact that there are two avenues of revelation has been taught by many prophets and apostles. There is a prophetic line of revelation where the Lord speaks through his anointed servants to his church and to govern that church. There is also a personal line of revelation where the Lord speaks to each individual child uh, to govern the life of that individual child where it becomes confusing sometimes is where those two revelations intersect especially as it deals with correction one answer to that is in a talk uh, from president iron a couple of years ago where he mentions a third kind of revelation called confirming revelation The example he gives is Lehi receives the revelation that his son should go back to Jerusalem and get the plates. However, Nephi receives the confirming revelation that he says famously in chapter 3, verse 7, that this is what the Lord wants him to do. Uh, I've heard people say a lot of times that, well, the bishop receives revelation for me which is a misunderstanding of the way revelation works. Because the Lord respects agency, he will not speak to anyone. Uh, He won't give revelation to you or about you to anyone else. In other words, a bishop isn't gonna come to you and say, "'I've received revelation that you should do this.'" Now, I have seen firsthand how a bishop receives revelation for how he should lead the ward, what counsel he should give ward members, how he should serve them, and even what invitations he should issue to them. But that's a very different thing than those individual ward members receiving personal revelation that confirms that revelation coming from a leader. I think all forms of revelation are needed for us to receive the correction the Lord has in uh, in store for us. We need to understand prophetic revelation. Listen intently to what's coming through prophets and apostles. We need to pay attention to individual personal revelations that come, and we also need to seek for confirming revelation that helps us to understand that the words coming through prophets and apostles are indeed specifically applicable to us as the uh, will and the mind of the Lord to us.
0: And just like we mentioned in our family council, corrections are most often not something that we need to be ashamed of or that we need to feel bad about when we receive corrections, especially from, from the Lord. He's looking out for our best interest. And I couldn't help but think, um, I, how grateful I am for Hiram Page, for his humility, even though we have in this verse 11 of section 28, and again, thou shalt take thy brother Hiram Page between him and thee alone. That's what's said to Oliver Cowdery. Well, it's not just between him and (laughs) him and Oliver Cowdery. This is revelation to Hiram Page that we are all benefiting from because he was humble enough to to take that correction and to not receive those revelations through his seer stone anymore and he didn't do that anymore. And I think we can just take that to heart that the corrections that we receive from God aren't there to make us feel bad about ourselves or to condemn us in any way because these corrections are coming from someone who is very invested in who you are and who you can become. Thanks so much for studying with us this week. We hope you have a great study, a great week, and happy St. Patrick's Day. We'll see you next week.